1: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to another ArsCast Extra as always with James from Gunnar Blog. James, good morning to you.
0: Oh, Andrew, Andrew, Andrew. James, James. I'll tell you a quick story. Okay. I've kept you waiting. I'm 10 minutes late for the pod. It's you... not in itself hugely unusual, but <laughs> um, what happened this morning was I took my dog out for her pre-podcast walk mm-hmm. and there was some suspicious activity on the walk Uh oh. or perhaps more accurately described as suspicious inactivity. Uh-oh. The dog did not uh, drop its usual deposit. <laughs> so <laughs> I returned home, uh, went into the room that is my kind of makeshift office, mm-hmm. uh, reclined in my swivelly chair and swiveled round. To find? To discover <laughs> a, an offering, shall we say, from the doggy gods. Wow. Uh I uh, was, this was about 9.29. We were due to record at 9.30. I mean, it was one of those where kind of, I feared the worst, you know. Sure. As soon as there was no activity on the walk, I thought, mm, we're in trouble somewhere in the flat. Yeah. Um, I was hoping it would be another room and my wife would discover it and it would be her <laughs> problem to solve. Not so. So anyway, I cleaned it away. Mm-hmm. But it has left this room. mm with a pungent
1: um, aroma. It's less fragrant than it should be. Is that what you're saying? I dare open
0: the windows because the lawnmower man is out there. So I'll just suffer in, well, not silence, but I'll suffer. And, you know, if there was ever a game or a Monday morning that deserved to be greeted with a shitly morning, surely this is it.
1: This is it. Quite literally
0: a load of dog shit. Yeah, I mean, you know, maybe that was her thinking. We'll never know. We never will, but it does
1: seem to sum up the way, uh, you know, that this weekend has gone for us. Maybe you were mm. onto something
0: at the end of last week, you know? When we just packed it in. Yeah. I've just seen another bit, actually. <laughs> Genuinely <laughs> live. Hmm. <laughs> Well, mm. well, you know, people write in and they're like, what happens between part one and part two? <laughs> well, we know what's happening
1: between part one and part two today. The number um, two will be, yes. Do you, yeah, do you-
0: maybe we should have packed up and gone home, Andrew. Yeah. Maybe maybe we should. I mean, the Arsenal players seemed to. Maybe they were listening. I'd like to apologise. <laughs>
1: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> why? Weren't, were listening in. Why weren't the players motivated to uh, to win this game? And basically, that was it. They were uh, heartbroken at the idea that there'd be no more Arscast Extra. I guess.
0: Can I? Yes, please make do. A suggestion.
1: Oh, I thought you were going to say, "Can I take a moment to uh, clean up this other little bit of poo that I've noticed?"
0: Oh no, no, no. We're in, <laughs> yeah, well, I'm stuck with it now. All um, right. Oh, Jesus. Maybe <laughs> I should.
1: I think you probably should. Mm. You know the way we have doorbell music? Yeah. Could you try and find I'll some see sort if... of poo cleaning music? I'll find some, some plop cleansing music. Okay.
0: We're back. Job done. Job done. Big job? This is substantial. Okay. Um, substantial I mean yeah I don't know what I'm going to do burn this room down afterwards I think is the only solution
1: okay well maybe you could try opening the window after the podcast is done just
0: (laughs) no just an idea to let the smoke out you mean yeah exactly
1: (laughs) you don't want it spreading of course yeah you were about to say you said can I make a suggestion before your your gaze was drawn to the yeah to the dog stool, so... My
0: suggestion was mm. going to be, given that the AskCast Cast Extra officially ended last week mm. um, and that this is a, a new, let's call it a one-off show with a one-off format, <laughs> my my suggestion was going to be that we break with convention and dedicate less time to this match and more time to the questions. It's more of a plea than a suggestion.
1: <laughs> I, You know, I... I genuinely don't know that there is a great deal to talk about with regards to the match itself. I mean, there are obviously some things, but there are games that take place. And I, I, I wonder, perhaps before we start recording some days, how on earth are we going to talk about all the things that happened in that game mm. in, you know, the, the sort of 45 minutes there or thereabouts that we, we normally dedicate to to the match? I don't know that this is one of those times.
0: No, no. I mean, I, as you know, I keep little notes on my phone during games usually. Yeah. And you know, it'll be like, goal, chance, nearly, and, you know, lots mm. of little annotations like that. Whereas uh, my notes from this game read like a kind of uh, sort of existential uh, decline. <laughs> like just... Pop this. Uh, what a load of bollocks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Occasional ponderances, mm. rude words. Yeah, there's yeah. not a lot of pretty in here.
1: No, I mean, you said to me, and um, I think you said this in your, your video as well, uh, that you found this game boring. And that is not an accusation that you can level at Arsenal this season. But I understand where you're coming from.
0: yeah. And I out- did, and like I love watching Arsenal, and I love watching the games, but I did sort of come away from this one being a bit like, I, I, I think I could have used ninety minutes better than that in uh, my life. Well,
1: so could so could the players. It's fair to say. Well,
0: that's it. You know. Yeah. Um... Uh, I, yeah. I, I guess you know, and and it, uh, my my feeling going into it was that it was. I you know, I'm quite generally, although I'm sort of broadly optimistic about the club and its direction of travel, week by week, game by game, I am quite pessimistic. Mm. Um, but I was especially pessimistic about this one because of the circumstances and the stakes. you know, yeah. I just saw a team fighting for their life against a team that sort of had had the life beaten out of it a little bit in recent weeks. yeah um, and I thought that would be a struggle. Uh, and lo and behold, it was. Uh, it's just, you know, it's very easy to sit here and go, well, their season, our season was kind of already over. But, you know, there are many Arsenal fans around the world tuning in and there are thousands making that trip to Nottingham. Uh, and they absolutely all deserved a better performance than what we produced.
1: Oh, for sure. Like, I mean, I do understand completely what you're saying. And, and I think, you know, your reaction was probably unique to you this season in terms of you know how you felt about watching that game and that performance and everything else and and for me I have to admit that this game really annoyed me Mm. for for probably the first time this season you know we've had some results and performances that didn't go our way but you can only feel how you feel you know it's not contrived in any way and I felt annoyed and irked By that performance, because I can see exactly where you're coming from when you say, look, this is a a team that realistically knew that, you know, their chances of the title were gone, um, you know, by a couple of weeks. And I guess it is difficult. Or more challenging to maintain the motivation but at the end of the day you know this was like you say a performance watched by however many thousand Arsenal fans went there and all the fans and I'm pretty sure that in his preparation for this game Mikel Arteta did not in any way suggest to his players well you know just go through the motions I know the season's done he would have been Desperate for a win, I think you know how you finish a season can, in some ways, um, influence or inform the way people feel about it, right? Uh, and I think we might need a bit of distance uh, over the the next few days to to sort of truly um, come to terms is the wrong word, but to to analyze objectively our season and, and what we've done. But you know, I I found it really annoying. I found the game annoying. I found our lack of purpose, or lack of craft, innovation, whatever, all the things that have been good about Arsenal this season were missing completely from that game. And I mean, technically, all the things you can count, whether it's, you know, know, statistically, all the things you can measure, but the things you can't as well, the things that you know that are not there when you don't see them, if you like. So I'm talking about a kind of character or spirit or whatever else. You know, I, I just found the game exceptionally annoying in that regard because I knew Man City were going to go and win the league. It wasn't that. It was just how meek and insipid our performance was. You know, as I I think the blog title on Sunday was um, No Bang, All Whimper. You know, we didn't go out with a bang. We went out with the biggest whimper that there is. And that was frustrating to me.
0: Yeah, we knew City were going to lift the trophy, but we didn't have to hand it to them. Yeah. And I... I also think this was a ground where there was a a wrong to right for Arsenal. You know, we were knocked out of the FA Cup uh, here last mm-hmm. season with a really poor performance. Maybe we should have uh, queued up that, that portion of All or Nothing on the DVD player in the pre-game meeting. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It seemed to work last um, week or the week before, anyway. Yeah. And I, I, and I, and I th- you mentioned Mikel Arteta in there. I think if there's one person within the club who didn't or wouldn't have considered this a dead rubber, it would have been him. We know how demanding and how exacting he is, the standards he expects of his players. Um, But the performance he got from them, I think, Mm. tells you what's happening in their heads, you know, where they are at at this point in time. Um, Yeah. And and, and I think, I, I mean, I suppose the only interesting thing about this game to me was that the sort of psychological factor that means a team who's produced such high level of football across the season can produce such a poor performance yeah. in a game like this. Yeah, I mean I do think that is worth exploring because look, I saw people say
1: we threw in the towel, you know, and it I I don't quite buy that, you know, because this is a a team that had eighty-two percent possession. I didn't see a team that Look, we we didn't play anywhere near our best. I don't think those players for one second went out there and thought individually or collectively, "Ah, I can't be arsed with today. You Mm -hmm. know, I don't think it works like that, but there are reasons why you can't play to your best level, and it might be because one or two pieces are missing. It might be because the formation is weird. It might be because of, you know, the the psychological factors that you mentioned. And I think we probably have to touch on the lineup Mm -hmm. when we talk about, Part of why I think we didn't play as as well as we can, it was when the team news dropped on Twitter. I went, "Oh, that's interesting. He's playing Granite Shaka at left back because Same. that's what it looked like." You know, Kieran Tierney out, Granite Shaka in, and everything else. On the basis of what we've seen from Mikel Arteta in recent weeks, sort of made you think that that was going to be the case. Instead, it was a very unusual back four and I'm I'm interested in your thoughts on this because how much do you think this was as Arteta our, our said before the game we had some issues to deal with some players couldn't really train during the week so we had to put out the best possible team we could you know how much of that was in the team selection particularly the back four and how much of What we did against Brighton was unacceptable and I can't have that again. I need to do something different with my team played into that team selection. Where do you think the balance is there?
0: Listen, I'd be guessing, because I I don't know uh, who did and didn't train, but I think I felt like he he just felt he needed to try something different. You know, the performance against Brighton, Hmm. he was highly critical of. And I mean, really the only... Personnel change at the back was Kieran um, Tierney, of course, you know, stepping out, um, well, and he didn't. He doesn't have a vast amount of options, really, at the back, in my opinion. At the, at
1: the no, he d- he doesn't. But obviously, when you play, you're holding me. You're holding midfielder at right back. Mm. That's a fairly significant change. Yeah. Um, ben White playing on the right side of the. the uh, the centre-halves is not anything new. He played there last season alongside Gabriel. And Key viewer at left-back is possibly something we might see a little more often um, next season. You never know. I mean, he has played there before. And, um, you know, that's centre-half playing at a, a fullback. back uh, We've done it all season long on the right with Ben White, you know. True. But it was, to me anyway, I don't know. There was something about that selection that felt like it was speaking to a couple of players um maybe some decisions that are being taken uh, you know about the summer and who's staying and who's going or or whatever
0: else yeah i, I think in the case of Kirantini that that felt likely you know mm. um and i think those conversations are happening at this point in time between the club and players and agents about where they sit in future plans, so it would not be a great surprise if um, those are beginning to impact what happens on the field. You know, the last couple of weeks, Granite Shaka has started, but he's come off quite early, uh, earlier than I think he normally would do, and I wonder if that might be mm. related to his future. Tierney being left out in this game, yeah, I, I think I think you're on something there. What what was clear was that you know he did try something quite radical I suppose in terms of like who he would played where with the back four but it it didn't really work in any discernible fashion and it it led to this very 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 lopsided performance where Mm. we just never played out on that left hand side
1: yeah I mean that was it we were so weighted towards the right hand side and I think you know you can understand to an extent why that might be the case because I don't think Trossard, when he starts on the left, he's not a uh, a whizzer, is he? He's not going to fly beyond the defender. Mm -hmm. He's not that kind of a player. And Kivior, perhaps a little more naturally um, defensive Mm -hmm. rather than a a kind of overlapping fullback. And on the other side, you've got Bakayo Saka, You've got Martin Odegaard. But I thought we were just so narrow because when the game started, I was like, oh, Partey at right back, that's that's a little bit weird. And then all of a sudden Partey was popping up in midfield. Mm. And I thought, ah, right. He's,
0: he's kind of doing this. He's
1: kind thing, of I doing guess. the Zinchengo thing, but maybe Partey at right back was just a little bit of a, a little bit of a trick or something like that. And right. then, and then Partey just ended up at right back and didn't go as infield uh, as much as he did in those opening couple of minutes, but nor did he really combine in a significant way with, with Odegaard and, and Saka, who, you know, I don't expect Thomas Partey necessarily to, to overlap the way that Ben White does, and I think there's something about the way that Nottingham Forest set up as well. Uh, you know, they were playing with five at the back, you know, three centre-halves and, and wing-backs, so it was difficult to get, you know, behind them and get into space. But it, it made us very narrow, and it made us very stop-starty in a way. We didn't play with any pace or with any real rhythm. Yeah, whatever he was thinking there, I don't think it worked.
0: No, and it ultimately disrupted the triangle of white Odegaard and Saka that's been really effective for Mm. the majority of the season. Um, And, you know, the game began to follow a particular pattern with Forrest really sitting off. Mm -hmm. And and one of the few notes I did make was, with about half an hour gone, Jorginho in the middle of the pitch just sort of frantically – trying to ask the players to provide more mm. width and stretch the pitch, um, which was desperately needed and, and we really struggled to do. And, and a big part, again, of the reason we failed to do that is that we only used one half of the pitch. You know, you didn't see Granit Shacker or, or, or Trossard really on the ball at all mm. in the first half, it felt like to me, um, just constantly going up the other flank. And yeah, we we also, in the space of, in the, of that half, gave away or conceded uh, a goal.
1: Yeah, the goal came when I think Martin Odegaard was looking for, for Gabrielle with a first-time mm-hmm. pass, intercepted, ball comes to, was it Gibbs-White? Gibbs-White, I think, Gibbs-White yeah. onto the striker, and Gabrielle is a bit unlucky in that he slides in, makes a tackle, and the ball rebounds off Awani's, um legs and beyond Ramsdale. So, Punished to the maximum for a mistake in, in midfield. It's a weird sort of coda to Martin Odegaard's season, isn't it? That that he's been so good and scored so many goals and been so instrumental to the best days that we've had. But he's had these moments where a giveaway in midfield has, has seen us punished quite ruthlessly.
0: Yeah, I think I'm right in saying it. it's Southampton, the Etihad and now the City ground. Mm. where he's almost given the ball away in identical positions, just sort of to the right-hand side of the centre circle. A little simple infield pass has been intercepted.
1: Mm.
0: I'm sort of trying to figure out if that means anything. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's sort of hard to know. I, I think your creative midfielders, it has to be expected that sometimes passes won't, you know, find their man. And I think it probably says more about a sort of, certain structural weakness of the team that when we have conceded in those positions, we've not been able to recover. Um, Mm. But it is, it is below his usual high standard as well to just, you know, a fairly straightforward pass straight to the opposition is, uh, yeah, he's a much better player than that.
1: Of course. I think if you're a creative midfielder, as you say, let's say their passing stats are, you know, a little bit lower than some of the others, it's because they're trying more difficult passes. That's
0: true, in the final third. In the final third, rule, but in these in, have been yeah. simple short passes in midfield. Yeah,
1: and I think you're right. He is he is better than that. And I think it can just be a little bit of a an unfortunate coincidence. I don't necessarily expect that to be part of Martin Odegaard's season next time around.
0: Um No, well ho- hopefully not. I no. mean Yeah, and that, as I say, established a very set pattern to the game, which isn't quite what I Expected. I thought, you know, we might get more of a ding-dong, chaotic, end-to-end, you know, them piling forward and, you know, focusing on set pieces. But because they got that lead, it just became attack versus defence, really, barring a couple of counterattacks. But we never really looked like breaking them down. No, we didn't at all. Um, eighty percent of the ball we had for the for them in most of the game.
1: Eighty-two percent possession in total. Really? Yeah, eighty-two percent possession. Um, six hundred and forty-four accurate passes to Nottingham Forests. Eighty. Mm. So, you know, it tells the story of a team that dominated with sterile possession, didn't really create any chances, didn't. Trouble the goalkeeper in any significant way beyond a couple of set pieces here and there didn't make good chances couldn't move the opposition out of their out of their zones and look credit to Forrest they did what they had to do in the circumstances in which they had to do it you know a win secured their Premier league future so you can understand their approach to this game particularly after going um, going a goal up but you know I think we've seen Arsenal deal with this kind of situation better you know there was no craft no invention no movement no pace too many touches on the ball the ball moving too slowly I lost count of the number of times that when we were moving the ball or trying to progress up the pitch the pass was played just slightly behind the player who was running Mm. you know and that I think was a sort of collective malaise that we just could not rouse ourselves out of either with the players who started or with any of the changes.
0: No, and failed to score now in each of our last two games. I'm not sure that's happened at any other point this season. Um, There've been very few games which we failed to score full stop Mm. and Newcastle kept a clean sheet against us. Um, I mean, that may well have been it. So yeah, something wasn't right. And, I have to say, once again, I, I wasn't... Uh, I, I don't think the changes really helped elicit anything. Um, Tierney came on, didn't he, with Nketiah. I think that was mm. the first round for Shaka and Curio. Um I mean, he got a couple of
1: crosses in Tierney, but beyond that, didn't really do a great deal. Eddie did basically nothing. Um mm-hmm. And then the other change was, was Fabio Vieira for. Um, who did Vieira come on for? Trossard,
0: was it? Trossard, I think, yeah. And equally, he did nothing when no. he came on. Um, we had a, sh- a shot from Saka from the right-hand side, which was sort of the goalkeeper parried. There were a couple of dis- uh, efforts from the edge of the box, maybe from Jorginho. Jorginho,
1: yeah. There was a couple deflected, didn't they? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But that
0: was. You know, that was really it. And Forrest had, like I said, one or two moments where they threatened. Um it, yeah. It, like I said, I was I was quite bored. And, and, and I don't take any pleasure saying that. Mm. But um we really did very little with the ball in, in that period. And I know it's hard. It's really hard playing against a team who only want to defend and are just sitting off you and mm. packing the penalty box. But they're not in Forest and they're in a relegation fight. And we're Arsenal and we've spent the majority of the season in the title race. We should have been able to muster more than we did.
1: I think so. It was a very underwhelming, dispiriting performance. And to, you know, for that to be the thing that. Um, seal the title for for City was it was a bit depressing. Like if you're going to go down, go down swinging, you know. I don't know that yeah. I don't know if we'd feel that much better. Would we feel that much better? I, you know, I think I probably would if we'd like hammered Forest. I would definitely feel better than I do right now. I definitely would have felt better yesterday than I did, and certainly while watching that game, I I would have felt better.
0: I'm sure most people would. Um, it's interesting. I've wondered about that. You know, is it better to? miss out by a couple of points and spend the summer thinking if only, if only, if only, if only, or is it easier to look at this last portion of the season and say, well, we weren't good enough? You know, it's – I I honestly think people will vary on that. but. um,
1: Yeah, yeah, I guess so. I mean, I suppose the thing is, you know, the truth is there in the table, right? Yeah, That is the truth of our season. Whatever way people want to look at it or how they want to view it, that is how you judge where we are and what we've done. And we're going to finish maybe, what is it, seven, ten points behind Manchester City? Is that where it's going to be?
0: Wow, yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty frightening, isn't it? I think it's uh, over the last nine games that each City and Arsenal have played, I think they've taken maximum points, 27, mm. and we've taken... Nine from nine.
1: So they could, they could actually end up... Um, they've got a game in midweek, of course. Yeah, um, they've got a game in hand. So they but... could end with 99 points this season and the most we can get... Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. The most we can get is 86. Mm. So they could win the title by 13 points, which if you'd said that six weeks ago, maybe, people would have said, well, that doesn't sound very likely based on the way yeah. the season has gone. So... You know, maybe it is, I don't know if better is the right word, but it is instructive that it has ended with a gap like this because it leaves you in no doubt that you still have some way to go and you still have work to do to close that gap next season.
0: Yeah, I mean, the ludicrous thing is we're we're approaching a position where Arsenal, you know, we're talking about all these games they've lost or drawn and dropped points in. We're approaching a position where they could have got you know, pretty much every point, let's say, bar the Etihad and not won the league, mm. uh, which is kind of staggering. But yeah, I think the gap is going to end up much wider than anyone anticipated. I think even Mr Neville would have been surprised by uh, the extent mm. to which Man City have run away with it. Um, and that's partly their excellence and partly Arsenal coming up short. Yeah. As I said, I, I am fascinated by the psychological aspect of this, the human element. I think all those Arsenal players went into this game wanting to win, wanting to send a message. But deep within their consciousness or their, even their subconscious, they know the jig is up. And mm. the, how that influences performance is obviously like incredibly difficult to... Measure or even understand. But when you look at the urgency with which we were playing Mm. when it was in our hands and the speed and the desire, the determination, you know, finding it within you to sprint that extra yard or, Mm. you know, hit that shot that bit harder, we were doing it and now we're not. And you, I, I, it's so difficult to reckon with, but clear it's 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 real. It's as real as anything else. No, me.
1: I think that's true, I and mean, we've no way of of actually measuring it. Yeah, um,
0: it's not the only factor. No, there are no, other no, factors, no. Of course, factors, tactical factors. Yeah, of course, and and I think that's the most. Yeah, you know, I, I think these players look like you know the 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 belief mm. which had fueled them for so much of the season had gone the fire had gone out yeah. a bit
1: i mean arteta i watched his press conference afterwards there were times where he couldn't even look at you know the the reporters in the room he was just staring down at the desk and yeah. talking and he, he talked about how painful it was he talked about how how it was his responsibility basically he kept repeating that he it was like uh, peppering his answers that the responsibility was was his and all that, which is, you know, fine. I, I appreciate that. But then he said, when you come to April and May, you need 24 players that are available, fit and playing at their best, full of confidence and ready to go. For many reasons, we haven't had that. Then there are key moments in the league that define whether the moment goes here or there. We didn't have those margins on our side and i think that's the reason we lost it and it does come down i think to that that the the depth that you need at this point of the season can be the difference between you know a run that we've been on our last nine games eight or nine games we've only won two and maybe a couple of the draws that we had along uh, in that run you know could have been wins if you have a deeper squad Better options,
0: all of that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, um,
0: and, and wins beget wins. Like I, I also think form and momentum are yeah. real things in football.
1: Yeah, we, we we when we lost our momentum, it really hit us hard, didn't it?
0: Yeah, because that's that we had been on that train all season long, and to be honest, when we were first kind of derailed uh, around the Man City home game with Brentford and Goodison Park. I honestly thought that might be it because I believed that we were riding that wave. And when it crashed, I really didn't think it would be sustainable. Um, I I, th- I, think the players and the staff did really well to pick us up at that point. But when we came off the rails again, I'm using so many different metaphors at the same time here. Um, it's some sort of train in the ocean.
1: When our engine ran out of steam, we had nobody to put the coal in the coal Hole exactly,
0: yeah. That time <laughs> it, it was for real. Like the momentum did go and had one. Of, say, had the Anfield game been a win, or the uh, West Ham game been a win, or yeah. maybe even Southampton? I think we could have kind of steadied and gone again, but we never really recovered from that. And, and I found it fascinating watching Arteta after the game, because it felt like the players had really, on some level, consciously or unconsciously, processed and accepted that the title was truly gone. But it felt like for Arteta, maybe as a function of his job, the reality, the true reality could only really land in that moment after mm. Nottingham forest i think it's his responsibility right to believe in the slimmest possibility
1: i think um, i think it's his character as well though i think he 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 just wouldn't or couldn't countenance the idea that it's gone until it's completely gone
0: well exactly and that, that's and, and the that, drive you yeah. yeah. just to say when you're a manager that is what you have to do i mean darren moore um who manages Sheffield Wednesday, they lost the first leg of their playoff semi-final 4-0, was it? Yeah. And he had to spend a week telling his players we can win and we can go through. And wow, they did it. I mean, one of the most extraordinary matches you will ever see in your life. Um, But that is what a manager has to do. They have to take the 1%, the 2% chance and convince that group of players that it's on. And... Arteta, I think, in order to do that, absolutely believed in it himself. And when that full-time whistle went at Nottingham Forest, while we were like, oh, well, you know, we probably had no chance anyway. It's a dead rubber. For him, I think that's the moment that his dream really died. And I think that, that explains his post-match demeanour.
1: Do you think part of the reason he said it's painful is that because, like you say, he has probably spent all week trying to convince them and motivate them and you know, get them going for the very, very slim possibility that something could happen and he didn't or he couldn't yeah. or, you know, maybe some people in the squad, maybe he expected more, you know, from his players in, the, in that situation. Maybe he expected them to be of the same mind as him, even if, you know, we can all understand perhaps why they weren't. Is that kind of not what he is going to demand from his players?
0: Yeah, I mean, honestly, like he may have been asking them all week, you know, do you believe? And they may well have said yes, but they gave him their honest answer on the pitch. Mm. And I think I think that will have hurt him, yeah, undoubtedly. The
1: bench, I suppose, is worth talking about a little bit as well because there are shades of of the way last season ended. I think there are perhaps some parallels in terms of, how we ended last season and how we ended this season. Mm -hmm. You know, a bad run, ran out of steam, ran out of legs, you know, players playing perhaps through injury, as he mentioned at the start, some players couldn't train much this week. Whether those guys played 90 minutes or not, I'm not 100% sure because we don't get that that level of detail from him. But, you know, when you see the bench and it's got um, Rule Walters and Armario cozier dubry and Maro Bandera names that may not be familiar to, to some people listening to this, but they are Academy players who are on the bench in the same way that last season, you know, we were looking at the bench and, and, um, we had Zach Swanson and we had Charlie Patino and we had, uh, Omari Hutchinson and Mika Beerith, mm-hmm. you know, players like that who were there basically just to make up the numbers. um, You know, I hope these young guys who are on the bench on on Saturday, I hope they can develop and I hope they can, you know, forge a career at Arsenal. That would be brilliant because we all like to see young players coming through, but none of the players who were on the bench last season in the same circumstances are going to make it at Arsenal, right? Um... So the the issue then becomes one of, or the conversation rather, becomes one of of depth. And it goes back to what Arteta was saying about the 24, 22, 24 players who are fit, ready, in form, ready to go, all that kind of stuff. You know, th- that is the story of last season. I think it is in some ways the story of this season as well. So as we gear up for the summer, and maybe we'll have some questions about this in in part two, but that has to be the big um what's the word i'm looking for here james like the the driving force behind the summer has to be to provide this squad with sufficient depth to keep going right to the end of a season you know and one that we're going to have champions league football in as well
0: yeah and i think one that realistically you know we have to hope to do better in all the cup competitions than we did in this season. Yeah. I understand some of the sacrifices that were maybe made, or and and the way that a lot of fans were able to accept that, because you know there was this focus on the league. But uh, that's not something we can do every season. And if we're serious about you know really re- establishing ourselves among the elite, we need to win trophies. And you know there are four trophies up for grabs every season, and I don't think we should be turning our nose up at any. I really don't. I think it's so important for this group that they lift some silverware. Mm. Um, I, you know, you look at a lot of the sides that go on to win the league. A lot of the time they win the League Cup first. Um, and it's because they have a culture of winning. And I think I think that's really important. So yeah, we, we absolutely need a squad to sustain that. And just on the bench point, this was a game we were chasing, a game we needed to win. And I think it's telling that of our five subs available we made only three
1: that's true you know if you take as red that the young players are there to to make up the numbers when you add Emil Smith Rowe to that who oh, sorry yeah you know that's 50% of your bench that's basically unusable in a game that you want to win and need to win and are desperate to win if you're Mikel Arteta right yeah. and he he had some he had some comments in his pregame press conference about how there were players this season that we didn't get the best out of, that didn't get enough minutes for whatever reason. Uh, and I wrote, you know, on Saturday on the blog, a sort of slightly optimistic piece about how that might apply to Emil Smith-Rowe. And then we got that performance on Saturday, and he didn't even get on the pitch for a minute. Not even the last 10 minutes as a kind of, well, fuck it, you know, just have a go, see what you can do. You know, what else is there? Beyond, like, throwing on a kosher Dubry or somebody like that, just as a kind of, well, fuck it, let's see. He didn't even get a fuck it, let's see substitution. And that that really worried me about, you know, what's going to happen with him.
0: Yeah. I don't think the manager could be much clearer, really, in terms of, his evaluation of the player, um, which feels quite shocking given yeah. the, his importance to the group last season. Think about that clip and in All or Nothing, to mention the documentary again Granite Shaka in the dressing room telling Emil he's the future. Remember that mm, bit? Yeah. Future of this club. I've known it since the first day, I think he says. And now we're in a position where I think it's impossible to. Avoid the conclusion that he's very much on the market. I mean, the, the communication from from Arsenal, if I'm Emil or his agent, or if I'm another club looking at it, is that this player can go because he's not being used.
1: Yeah, we don't we don't want to use him. A, a manager tells you what he thinks of a player in how he uses him or doesn't mm. use him. You know, that's the clearest indication you can take about how a manager feels about a player, and even in desperate circumstances. I mean, maybe it's going overboard to call it desperate circumstances, but we were one nil down in a game that he wanted to win. He didn't use him.
0: No, and... and
1: It's sad, isn't it, really? I find it quite sad that that whatever has happened here, you know, has, has whatever it is, that we've got to this point with a player who was so exciting and so, so much fun to watch. I really like watching Emil Smith Rowe when he's, um, you know, when he's on his game. He is a really fun player to watch, and an effective one too. Um, so whatever's got us to this point is is really unfortunate um, for us as fans and for him as a player, and maybe for Mikel Arteta as a manager, who I'm sure if he felt like. There was, I mean, he must feel like there's a good reason not to use him.
0: He must. Why I even mean,
1: have him in the squad then? I don't know.
0: Well, yeah, I haven't got anybody else, I suppose. But I think, um, you know, when you look at it, and it, for example, if I asked, if I weigh Emil Smith Rose season last season uh, versus Fabio Vieira's this season, and you asked me to like, Say, I want to see one of them definitely in the squad next season. I would choose probably Smith Rowe of those two. But Vieira is a player Arsenal spent a huge amount of money on and that Arteta brought in himself rather than sort of inheriting in any way. Mm. Um, so maybe it's not going to go that way. I just find it interesting, you know. Reese Nelson, they're trying to keep offering him contracts. Vieira seems a big part of the plans. I think in terms of like tangible contributions to the first team, Emil Smith Rowe in his brief time as an Arsenal player has done a lot more than those two. But mm. yeah. I listen, it the situation appears absolutely clear to me. Um and that's not that's and that's not information. Sure. That's me just looking at yeah. the same thing you guys are looking at the team selection and saying, Well, the manager doesn't really want to use it.
1: Yeah. Well, um, I guess it's one of those where you can never say never in football, but I'd be very, very surprised if there was a way back now.
0: Yeah, I think this feels more grave than the kind of he doesn't trust Martinelli thing. I feel like this has been more pronounced. Mm. Um,
1: Yeah, I did see people talk about like, maybe it's to do with the surgery, maybe it's to do with you know, not wanting to rush him back. Uh, and there were sort of some similarities between how he used Martinelli after his surgery. But, you know.
0: Maybe, but... He, but I don't I don't believe it. I don't, and also that's not really what he's been saying. I mean, Tim wrote a good piece for our blog about Smith Rowe. And if you look at what Arteta's actually on record saying about the player, it kind of is all there. You know, there have been these expressions of doubt or or gauntlets thrown down to him, shall we say, many times. And it seems to me he feels like he's not meeting those challenges in the way he wants him to.
1: Yeah. Well, look, it's... um, I think we've done 45 minutes on that game. We did it in the end.
0: We got there. We did it.
1: Um. We're back, baby. (laughs) Shall we take a break and do some questions? Because there's sort of wider topics and things like that, unless there's anything else from the weekend's football that you care to mention. Uh, And if you do, I'm just going to put my fingers in my ear and go blah, 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 so I can't hear you.
0: No. Um, Just I guess, you know. Thank you, Spurs, at least, for uh, throwing us a bone with their home defeat to Brentford. That was quite good fun.
1: I didn't even notice.
0: Yeah, <laughs> they all put into one after a certain yeah. point. Um, my slim hopes of Ryan Mason being granted the manager's job on a permanent basis evaporating. Now. Oh, yeah, that is a shame, to be
1: fair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's take a break. We'll come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Welcome back to part two of the ArsCast Extra. This is the bit where, well, I've done that wrong again, haven't we? Anyway, this is the bit where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter, at Gunnarblog, and at Arse Blog, also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arse Blog member on Patreon. James, the honour is yours today.
0: Great. Let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> I just told Andrew in the bit in between that, I'm going to have a new catchphrase, and it's going to be, let's do this. And you see, one day it will be on mugs like Goodly Morning and bye-bye. Let- That's my project for the summer. Okay. Let's do this. Let's do this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, oh, we've got lots of questions. We've got so many, and so many of them are so sad. There's a lot of sadness. Mm, what about this one? Okay. Uh Sean says, have you ever seen a player lose confidence and form at such a high rate as Thomas Partey has in the last month or so?
1: I mean, I probably have, but I guess because this is so recent, it feels very acute. Mm. And I know a lot of people talk about, that's me scratching my beard. Um,
0: it's a beard scratcher, this one. It's
1: a beard scratcher. I know a lot of people talk about Saliba's absence, and I think that's absolutely fair and absolutely right. But I also think, as we've discussed it, we've talked about Tommy Asu being absent as well. I think that's fair and that's right. But also Partey's form going off a cliff at pretty much the same time has been another aspect of... of our inability to play the kind of football that that we have been, uh, that we played for most of the season, which was really good, good control. And I suppose you could ask if Saliba's absence is in some way a, a factor in Partey's form.
0: Yeah, maybe.
1: But yeah, it hasn't been at all helpful, has it?
0: No, and it has been a really striking decline. I mean, I've seen players form and, and Forrest look, we should say he's playing in not his usual role. Um, You can forgive him kind Mm. of the whole not really knowing where to stand aspect of that. But on like the technical side, I think he looks a way off what you would expect. Uh, The speed and the size of the drop-off is pretty dramatic. Um, And and I'm really curious to see where this one goes. You know, I think it. I don't want to allow his recent performances to uh, completely overshadow how excellent he was for much of the campaign. I think, you know, a lot of this group are very loved and I think there's a bit less goodwill around this player and I I wonder if that might influence how he's perceived. Um, But yeah, I, I am curious to see what happens for him because he he just looks to have really gone into his shell um so to the extent where you know last week we were talking and I'm not convinced that his uh, that he'll be here next mm.
1: season I mean you uh, another one of those that if you'd said that 6 or 8 weeks ago people would say well that's crazy but you know um I do wonder just how ruthless Mikel Arteta is going to be about um the rebuild and the restructuring of this team and who the casualties might be um yeah there's a lot of potential outgoing business to be done and i guess there's only so much you can actually do in in, in a summer but uh yeah i'm i wouldn't be surprised either i wouldn't be surprised either um but of course if you know Shaka is going and Partey is going it means you know your your two first choice midfield players going in one summer having to be replaced and you know that is quite that's, a that's
0: a lot you know it
1: is quite a big shift you know whatever about bringing in one player or even two players you know to completely revamp your midfield in that way which by the way I'm not saying I would be against it by any means I just wonder if that might be too much in one summer but
0: yeah i i think that's a really interesting thread for the summer. The list of players who could go if the right offer arrives mm. is is pretty long, I think. Um, and I'd say long enough that they probably can't all go. Like, I just think it would be, you'd be a long way off that 24 players for a start mm. and it might be too much instability. So you know, all the names that we kind of mention as, well, yeah, they could go, they could go, they could go. I can't see it all happening. Um, so the deals that the club choose to do and they choose to let go uh, will be really interesting.
1: Mm. We had a couple of questions like this. Uh, first from the Discord from Ash Richards90. He says, good morning. Is it just me when I say a striker is much more important than another winger? Rotating Saka with Gabriel Jesus on the wing for certain games could be an option if we have another top striker. And on Twitter, the chief, who's at macho underscore grande one, said, rather than spending big money on a backup for Saka, would it not be better to repurpose 50% of Jesus to the right and spend the funds on another center forward?
0: I mean, I quite like that idea. We talked about that last week. I do Mm. think it's interesting that we've spent all season saying we've not got an alternative for Saka and Gabriel Jesus is there in the squad. Um, I know he's a different type of player, but he played that position last season very effectively for Man City. We could do with another centre-forward, definitely. I mean, Mm. I've kind of accepted that Balogun's almost certainly going to go. You know, he's a guy with a very clear career plan and I don't think it involves being second or third choice at Arsenal right now Um, I think Eddie did very well for quite a very short period of time and then by and large outside of that hasn't really shone Mm. even though he's a player I do like And, and Jesus is a really interesting one because he came back from his injury and produced some of his best goal scoring form But I think it's fair to say his all-round contribution has not been quite at the level it was in the first half of the season. I agree. Um, And I wonder if the injury and the recovery from the surgery might be uh, a component in that. Just because he plays at such full throttle, or did from August to December, throwing himself into every challenge... And it just would be entirely natural for there to be a little bit of reticence or even just be half a yard slower at this point in his recovery. Mm. Um, I wonder if we might see a different player in August. Uh, we shall see. I mean, how have you, what have you made of him since he's come back?
1: I mean, like you say, he scored goals. And, yep. you know, right now, you know, it's easy maybe to forget just how excited we were at his return and how much we anticipated him coming back because he had been so important to the team in the in the first half of the season before he picked up the the injury at the world cup you know uh, but i think you're right like he hasn't been at his best but then i think over the past number of weeks that's pretty much true of everybody you know beyond a couple of games and beyond a couple of big individual performances I think the last six weeks or so, we have not been where we were. I mean, we had flashes of it. You know, you think back to Liverpool where we were brilliant for, you know, much of the first half. West Ham, where we started on fire and should have gone on and won that game, you know, and after that, I think, I think that West Ham game, more, much more than the Liverpool game, I think that West Ham game caused some kind of instability within the squad that result yeah. i really do i think that's the one much more than liverpool because i think you can you can but compartmentalize it was the same thing the one. wasn't
0: it it was you know it was um a second successive two goal lead mm. thrown away and yeah. that means a lot more than just one uh, i i i agree i mean mm. you know i'm sure this is a question will be asked multiple times over the summer but in terms of a moment this season where i thought was maybe a sliding doors one. Um, I hate to even say it actually, but the Bukayo Saka penalty mm. against West Ham the chance, the gift to go 3 1 up in that game mm. and cruise, uh, and then it you know, not going in and everything that followed that feels like a real, you know, there's another reality where that hits the back of the net and uh, with we might be feeling very differently about things right now. Or not, you know, City winning all their games might have rendered it all moot anyway. Just on Thomas Party, by the way, Mm. I forgot to say that I was thinking about it over the weekend. And I guess what we really need to do is enlist Bugs Bunny and Michael Jordan to play the Monstars in some sort of five-a-side game. (laughs) And that's how... Uh, we will reclaim his powers.
1: Okay. Well, it seems doable.
0: Yeah. Like, you know, stage it at the Emirates. Mm-hmm. I think there'd be an audience for it. For sure.
1: Ash, who's at Ashley G AFC 17, says, simple one.
0: Fabio Vieira, discuss.
1: <laughs> nice, easy one.
0: I mean, I spoke about him a bit with the Smith Rowe. I, I think, I think those players are in kind of competition, although they are slightly different. And you know, we think of Smith Rowe more as a forward, and Vieira more as a midfielder. Um, I, I I've been underwhelmed, I would say, and I say that as someone who has been very excited about him and thinks he's got loads of talent. And potential but we haven't really seen it with any great consistency in an Arsenal shirt um, mm. maybe that's fine you know maybe that's the first season the climatisation I just have this nagging doubt that, like the very best players with football being fairly egalitarian and like most countries now aspiring to similar styles of football I feel like that's less and less true but um,
1: yeah, I suppose you, you you could point to the fact that he arrived injured, didn't really get a preseason, yeah. which, yeah. you know, could explain an underwhelming first half of the season. But yeah, you know, he hasn't really developed in the way that I'm sure Mikel Arteta and Edu would have would have liked.
0: I, I think he had his own sliding goals moment in a way, um, which was the Bournemouth game. I think I'm right in saying mm,
1: he started that, yeah.
0: Where there'd been kind of talk, was it Bor- in...
1: or Brentford, I think it was Bournemouth. Yeah, uh,
0: I don't know. Maybe you check. I'll but, check. But basically, that there had been like conversations. Yeah, he of, started.
1: Oh. He started ahead of Shaka in that game. Yeah,
0: yeah, and that had been a discussion of like, are we evolving beyond Shaka? You know, is there? Is should Vieira be starting more games? And he started that one, mm. and we conceded sort of down his flank within thirty seconds. And you know, Shaka ultimately, I think came on and, and played his part um in a three two win and and I sort of think that was Vieira's chance, and it kind of passed him by and I think it's worth saying as well he also got opportunities in the Europa League and didn't massively deliver you know maybe he played in the the home sporting game for example, which was a bit of a disaster for all concerned so I think it was reasonable to expect more from him in the second half of the season. I think he'll be here next season. The club spent a lot of money on him. It looks like Shaka's going to go. You know, that evolution is happening with that position. Um, whether Vieira is the guy to take the mantle or not, not. that is happening.
1: Not, you think? <laughs> no. No, yeah. no. Certainly not now. I mean, the, I think the best case scenario you can make for Fabio Vieira, based on what we've seen from him this season, we saw flashes of of talent. We saw a great goal against Brentford earlier in the season where he came in and I think he played ahead of Martin Odegaard who was missing that day,
0: is that right? He was ill, I think.
1: Yeah, Yeah. and he came in and he came into a team that was good and playing well and full of confidence and he played his part in a very, very good performance and a very, very good win away from home at a a ground where we'd suffered the season before, right? Mm -hmm. So the best case I think you can make is that part of why he's been ineffective is that, you know, he's been in the Europa league and and all the rest of it, you know, is that like, he's had a a difficult first season. And and sometimes that happens to a player where, you know, with a good preseason, they feel completely settled, you know, form can turn around. That would be the best case scenario I could make is that, you know, he, he he kicks it up next season because, you know, he's going to have to, because if, there's another season like this one. He's not a player that you can persist with because he doesn't bring enough
0: to I the agree. team. I agree. He needs to really step it up. Arteta seems to re- like believe in him a lot and he is particularly excited about Vieira's understanding with Martinelli. And I think he thinks there's a partnership in there, but we really need to start seeing it. Um, mm. All this is going to go kind of Sam Woods
1: Sambi words, yeah. That's not a good direction.
0: (laughs) Um, This is just, again, it's sort of a discussion point, but Jay Boz on the Discord said, uh, discuss this, please, uh, referencing Calvin Phillips, bringing on the 50 million cover you signed last summer after you've already won the league. Um, Bringing it in, rather, because Calvin Phillips made his first Premier League start for Man City. In their home game against Chelsea, is that an indicator of just what we are up against?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think so.
0: It's kind of absurd, right? Like
1: it is a bit like a fifty million pound signing starting his first Premier League game. You know, after you know earlier in the season, did Pep call him fat or something?
0: Basically, I think yeah. he said, "Yeah, it wasn't." Didn't come back from the World Cup in good shape.
1: Yeah, you know. So, yep, yeah, that tells you. I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't. Um, solve our problems it just makes our job a lot more difficult when they can bring on a 50 million pound signing um as a a kind of an afterthought you know that's what they have on the bench a 50 million pound signing and we've got you know these kids that we already referenced on the uh uh, from the academy i mean what about this one again it's more of a discussion point but i did think it was kind of interesting johan fried who's at johan fried said How annoyed are you with the Premier League shitting out what feels like thousands of posts congratulating Man City when they, a few months ago, charged them with cheating? Um, He said, I hate the bad guy always seems to win in the end. It kills the sport for me a little bit, but it is quite amusing, isn't it, that the Premier League are tweeting out, congratulations to our splendid champions, blah, blah, blah. You know, having three months ago leveled 115 very serious charges at them. Something kind of odd there,
0: a hundred percent a hundred percent to be honest, I mean some could say it's sour grapes. I found the whole city winning the league thing, which we've managed to not talk about for quite a long time, um quite bizarre and sort of odd, like i I didn't really I found the pitch invasion aspect really weird.
1: What was um, the pitch invasion? I didn't
0: basically, their fans had a pitch invasion at full time to celebrate a title they'd won the day before. I don't know. Uh, that's bollocks, isn't it? What a load yeah. of a fucking... I, I just sort of thought, I, I mean, I didn't get it. Like, I, I, it felt like like a lot of things with City, like sort of pretending to be a, a real club. Mm. Um I yeah I I it is curious hypocrisy. I mean, I, I kind of suspected at the time that the allegations against City were political posturing to see off government intervention in the running of football, and that feels even more true today.
1: How cynical!
0: I know, right? Um, but yeah, I, it is very odd. I, I don't get the. Uh, do think- I, I do get it actually. I get, I get the reason that City are discussed as like a great football team because this is an entertainment business ultimately, and that's you know uh, I guess a more entertaining, light-hearted talking point than the mm. sports washing that's going on. Yeah.
1: Um, Did, I was going to ask. I mean, do you think the the worm has turned
0: a little? Is that a is that a phrase? It is, isn't it? I guess so, although it's what's hard the, to tell when a worm has turned. I don't know. You to, what's the front and what's the back, you know? If well, a worm get, was you, just walking backwards and hadn't turned, would you know?
1: Well, he's got his number on the back of his shirt. That's how you'd know. Fair
0: so, point. Yeah. Um, um, what do you mean?
1: I just mean in terms of some of the coverage of City is now coming with more reference to the 115 charges, the the sports washing aspect to what they do which I think, um, was it Miguel Delaney wrote a piece about this where he compared this Manchester City team. I think he said, you know, it's been created in almost laboratory-like conditions Mm -hmm. where they get this incredible manager and there's no two ways. Pep is one weird motherfucker, but he is a brilliant manager, brilliant coach. There's no two ways about it, right? So as a club, what they've done over the last 10 years maybe more you know they brought these guys in from barcelona if you remember you know the backroom team the the executives yeah, yeah. yeah they brought these guys in to set the 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 groundwork to bring in pep to give pep the conditions that he needed to you know obviously win the premier league but you know do better and win the champions league and become a dominant force in football so it's all been the alleged cr- doping as well yeah of course. It's all been it's all been uh created, you know, in this very sterile might be the right word, um, but, but very precise manner, right? And now Manchester City have won five of the last six Premier League titles. People's reaction to city winning range from mild indifference to complete indifference beyond you know what you love about sport and love about football you know how you feel about that is probably very different to how you feel about Manchester City winning the league right because it would be much better if it was competitive and it's not really competitive as hard as we tried this season we we couldn't do it we didn't do it and we all know the reasons why we couldn't but like we said earlier city are possibly going to win the league by 13 points some of that is on us of course but does it not get to a point where people just go, well, what's the fucking point of this anymore? You know, if the Premier League is so-called the best league in the world, you know, is it not just another league where one dominant team wins everything and everything else is kind of an afterthought? It's competitive, you know, at a level below what Manchester City do. And that ultimately is boring. 100%.
0: You know, they are the Bayern. They are the PSG um and i do think a lot of it is guardiola i will say i think he's brilliant and chelsea are (laughs) a case study in how having money on spending money does not guarantee anything yeah but but but,
1: again sorry to cut across i think manchester city have built what they've built with extreme intelligence and precision which is the exact opposite of of you know, what Chelsea have done. It's like, um, what was that film? Was it, was it called Brewster's millions? Remember that Mm -hmm. film where he has to spend, he inherits a load of money. And in order to get more of it, I think he has to spend like $30 million in a day or a week or something like that. That's the way Chelsea operated.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, uh, the money is what puts you in a position to even get pep. So it's Mm. impossible to separate them out really. Um, I don't think Pep's winning five out of six league titles with uh, Sean Gota and Co. Do you know what I mean? So uh, <laughs> they've they've come a long way, thanks to that money, City. Um, but yeah, I think it is a concern. When any team dominates the league, like even when United were dominating the league, uh, it created conversation around, uh, you know, is this right? How can this be dealt with? Variety is important, you know, to the Premier League. Um, I, I I still think you. I think has the worm turned. I think some journalists. Miguel is certainly one of them. I really applaud the way that he continues to talk about this despite getting absolutely tons of online abuse. I know people like Filippo Clare been very out, outspoken about it. If you listen to guys like second captains, I think they're very good at sort of contextualizing City's dominance. But it still drives me a bit mad when I see. Pundits giving a kind of unvarnished assessment of them as well. Wow, aren't mm. they a great football team? I like, and I think you still see a lot of that. And I think that's wrong. Mm. Uh, like, there are no fairy tales really in the Premier League anymore. You know, there are no nice billionaires. But I, yeah, I do think there's something more. What's the word? Mm, malicious. No, not malicious. Malevolent. I don't know. There's something more unpleasant, shall malignant, we
1: say. Malignant.
0: Malignant. Yeah, about sports washing. Like, I just think, I mean, being in sport, I mean, Stan Kroenke has done nothing good for his reputation <laughs> in this country. You know, he's not here. He hasn't really been here to show, like, what a great guy he is. he mm. must still be friends with Stan Kroenke. Whereas the kind of Abu Dhabi project and just all these like long pieces about, oh, you know, isn't isn't their management of the club intelligent? And I don't know, mate. I don't know. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's I, I don't like it. And I, and I yeah, it, it makes it hard. I mean, in a pre-City era, as bad as our se- end of, to the season has been, there are years where our season probably would have seen us win the league. You know? Well,
1: yeah, look, we are we are, you know, we might finish 13 points behind Man City, but we're also going to finish probably 13 points ahead of Newcastle in third. Yeah. So there's a big fucking gap there, you know, and uh, you're right, there's no fairy tales, but there w- there is one very big asterisk um over True. City and what they've done and how they've done it, you know. Um who That's asked another the question? Was it me or you or
0: uh, I think it's me. Let's have a look city um okay john huff podcast uh on the discord says why isn't arsenal taken seriously as a big club all i hear about next season is city followed by liverpool this and united that and chelsea this and newcastle that as if we're leicester city and somehow fluked our way up the table we're a giant club with as much money as all but the very wealthiest team But the rest of the world doesn't seem to see it that way.
1: I mean, I don't know if I necessarily agree with
0: that. Um, Do you think that might be kind of an internal perception? Like, you know, we've... I think, do you think externally Arsenal are regarded as a a very big club?
1: Well, I mean, I think so. Yeah, we have a, you know, we are a very big club. There's no, I'm not disputing that part, but... I just don't know about the coverage of next season. And, you know, I, I, people are talking about Newcastle for very obvious reasons. They'll talk about Liverpool because, you know, Liverpool were, you know, the, the team, that battled city. Um, they always talk about Manchester United, maybe the way that our season ended means some people won't take us seriously. I, I, I don't know. Um, but I don't really, I don't really delve too deep into the opinions of, um, other football fans or people from other football clubs. It's just too much fucking, it's too annoying to try and seek out uh, that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Like on, on Saturday evening after I did my usual post game tweet, Mm. my mentions were absolutely full of Tottenham fans trying to laugh at Arsenal. Wow. And I'm thinking like, have you fuckers not, seen your own season? Have you not seen the way your season played out? And I know there's always some schadenfreude and I know it's always good when you're, when your big rivals lose or whatever it might be, but it's like people in glass houses and all that, you know, and I'm not too worried about how we are perceived by some of the, uh, football intelligentsia, if you want to call it that, you know, I think there's a lot of very bad football opinion out there in part because of how the media works you you have to be in some way controversial to find your place in the media these days anything that approaches common sense or middle ground doesn't drive the engagement that is being sought by many of these broadcasters or publications or whatever it might be so i take all of that with a with a kind of a pinch of salt I know what I think Arsenal are. I think we are, you know, a big club that maybe haven't delivered as much as we should. I think we're trying to address that in terms of how we do things, in terms of the kinds of standards that we're putting in place, that Mikel Arteta is putting in place, the demands, you know, to, to perform in every game, Uh, you know, and I think that's why Saturday, Saturday will have hurt him because even if it was a completely dead rubber, he would want a better performance than that from his players. Um, so th- that's kind of where I am with it. I'm not paying any attention to to uh, anything other people say. Let them talk about everybody else, because then it just means they're not being stupid about us.
0: Yeah, and also, like, I, one of the things I really liked about this season is that no one really took us seriously going into it. And we were able to spend 75% of the campaign proving people wrong. Mm. Um, and that was really fun. So I'd rather be underestimated and stick it to them, to be honest.
1: For sure. They're Uh, hyped
0: up to be knocked down, you know?
1: Well, that's it. That's it. Uh, Let me see if I can. Well, here's a question. I thought it was a positive question, but it's not really. Uh, (laughs) Jack Abella, who's that? Jack G. Abella. Uh says, sadly, morning guys, there's been a lot of negativity following the Forest result, despite what has been an amazing season. So that's why I thought it was kind of positive. But then he said, but do you think the major drop-off over the last 10 games makes Arsenal seem a less attractive destination to players like Declan
0: Rice? Maybe a little bit. Maybe a little bit. Um, it would probably give you... It might make you think about it again. Uh, but you might say there are reasons that they've we've dropped off. You know, mm. they might look at it the same way as we do and go, "Well, they were missing some key players. They don't have enough strength and depth. They've told me they're going to add that this summer." Um, I still believe in the coach. I still think the culture of the club's really positive. I still want to live in London. Still want to play in the Champions League. Still want to earn a good wage. Mm. There's still a lot going for Arsenal. More than there has been for a long time. I can't remember a point in time when it was a more desirable club for a young player to come and play for. Um, or an old player, any player. Mm. I think outside of Man City and maybe Liverpool, who would you want to play for in this league? It's Arsenal. Uh, you know, we have a really great opportunity to become one of the premier destinations for the world's football talent and I don't think nine games can quite change that
1: yeah I agree I agree I think there is a uh, recency bias is not quite it but I think when you go through a poor period you know, your, your glass can go quickly from half empty to half full or from half full to half empty. I mean, you know, how you perceive things and how you look at things. But I do think when you step back and objectively, maybe we're not quite there yet, maybe we'll save this discussion for our event on Saturday night in Union Chapel is like, with a bit of distance, how do you view the season overall? And I think the kind of football we play um, is very entertaining for the most part beyond what we saw uh, against Forrest. You know, if we add quality, if we add depth, there's no reason why that would change. And uh, yeah, that would make us a very attractive uh, destination for for a lot of players. Uh, And I think maybe you might, you know, if you're the kind of player who's got ambition, you might also view the opportunity as also something of a, a bit of a challenge. Like, what can I bring to this team? How can I help this team get better and achieve what it wants to achieve? I think that might be an attractive aspect to um to a player's thinking when they're deciding yeah. their next move
0: i wouldn't underestimate that i mean if you're looking at a team that's winning every game and it's got a very set starting 11 you might be looking on the outside thinking like well do i want to go there you know well, how mm. do i augment this team what's my place whereas you know you might be looking at it now as you say and thinking well i can step in here step in there there's something i can really add and contribute so I don't hugely worry about that. Can I ask you a, a quick transfer question? Of course, yeah. Joe, who's at Capt Joseph on Twitter, says, Do you worry that a lot of players we seem to be linked with are old slash unwanted City players, Gundogan, Cancelo, etc. Uh, they might be good players still, but it feels like we'd be trying to replicate a City style that they've moved on from rather than innovate something new. It is interesting, isn't it? Like, I, I genuinely, like uh, watching City yesterday, I sort of looked at their squad and I did think, well, I wonder which players from City Arteta might try and sign this summer.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, I wonder if City would be minded to sell us any players this summer, even if we wanted yeah. to. Having seen what uh, Jesus and Zinchenko did for this Arsenal team and how they had a positive impact, I doubt they would be keen on sanctioning a deal for any player they thought might be useful agreed to us. I also think some of those links, you know, are 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 a bit spurious, you know. Um maybe it's because Arteta was at City and he knows these players. Gunduan is a is a really good player, but 32, you know, is is that the kind of deal you want to make when you've also got Partey El Elneny and Jorginho at the club. You know, adding a, another over 30s midfielder, I don't feel like that is probably the the way that we would look at it. Um you never know. I mean, I did read the the piece by David Ornstein this morning um where he said, you know, we hold a concrete interest in Gundogan, but then I'd say that's probably true of a lot of football clubs who would hold concrete interest in a player like that if he was available. Um, I'm not sure I read too much into the Cancelo one. Yeah, I think there's a, a follow-up question I have here regarding left-back, so I'll ask that now in a minute. Um, yeah, I just, I, to I, get,
0: Cancelo, I, I don't think that's uh, no. uh, particularly credible at this point in time.
1: No. So I think it's just the nature of transfer business and and, again, the media – the way that links emerge during the summer, you know, most of which are complete nonsense. Mm. Um, I think the
0: Gundogan one, I see is, I mean, you know, he'll have lots of offers. I think Barcelona has been talked about because he's out of contract. Yeah. Um, Barcelona have been mentioned for a long time. Uh, City will probably make him an offer. I think he's absolutely brilliant. I have to be honest. Like, in this recent run of cities while Harland and maybe De Bruyne have taken all the plaudits, Mm. he has been sensational at times. Uh, Some of the goals he's scored have been ridiculous. Um, But what was the game? I think it might've been, it was one of their recent home games where he just scored two identical, like goals where he stepped up at the edge of the box. Oh yeah. One of the, yeah. Yeah. You know, he, he can do so many jobs in midfield so well. Um and I think I, I I think you make a really good point about the age of the midfield. But if you know, we were saying earlier, two of those players you could see moving on. Mm. Um in which case maybe his experience on a short term contract might be really valuable. I don't I don't hate that one as long as it was supplemented with players that balanced that age profile. Um but the Cancelo one A, I, I don't think Arsenal's interested at this point in time, very serious. And B, like you, Mm. I just can't see why City would sanction that.
1: Same. Um, Here's a question from Cartoon Steve Bold. who's at Cartoon Boldy. With Tierney going in the summer, how set are we at left back? Sinchenko is critical to Arteta's plans, but he's also prone to defensive lapses, guaranteed to miss time through injury. What would your strategy be in the summer? Um, And we also had... Uh, a question on the Discord slightly related to this from Bex17. Badly morning. Uh, he said, I keep seeing transfer rumors about right backs and left backs. I understand why. But what happens to Tommy Asu? I know he's had injury issues, but he was so good that first season. It seems we've all, uh, all we've been doing is buying defenders for the last several windows. Should he stay? Do we need someone who can play both sides and center back?
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I... I mean, one thing to bear in mind is Tommy Asu, you know, can play centre half. And had he been fit, I think there is a very good chance that when Saliba went down, he may have stepped into that position because um, I think he's a closer match for Saliba than Rob Holding, for example, in terms of his use of the ball, sprinting speed. I think he can do that job. So even if you add a couple of fullbacks, if you add a left back and a right back. I think there's always going to be room for a player as versatile as Tommy Assu in your squad. I can't imagine mm. naming a matchday squad and not thinking even if he, even if he's not starting, I'll take Tommy Assu on my bench because there's almost not a defensive problem that can come up in the course of the game that he is not a solution for. He's yeah, a Swiss army knife
1: kind of thing. He is injured though and and the, yeah. the update that came out last week um I don't know where exactly I saw it, but it was like he probably isn't going to play uh, until well into the season. That well, the injury. Uh, now I could be wrong. I could be dreaming. Who knows? I'm sure I read that there, uh, read that somewhere though.
0: Well, uh, I, I think it wouldn't surprise me if Arsenal strengthened in both fullback positions this summer. Um, I think it's an area of significant interest for them. Uh, I don't know who or how. But I think they both need attention. And Tierney, and you know, I mean, if he doesn't leave, I'll be extremely surprised. And it will basically be because we've not agreed a price with anybody.
1: Hmm. Okay. Hmm. Well, we'll see. Um, I do think that kind of versatility across the back line that Tommy Asu has is, is absolutely invaluable. Um, The injury issues are a bit of a worry though, you know, because he's, he's been injured in both the seasons that he had here. He could just be really unfortunate in that regard. Um, So hopefully once he gets fit next season, he can stay fit because I do think he is a really, really good player and somebody who can do a similar kind of job to Zinchenko at left back, as we saw at times this season, you know?
0: Yeah, I think so. He's a good right back, good left back. And I I do want to see a bit more of him at centre-half as well. I think he Mm. could be really good in that position Yeah, for us. I know he plays there for Japan, obviously. Yeah. Have you got one more? Um, Not really. I had a kind of everyone-Smith-Rowe one, but I feel like we gave that enough uh, attention earlier on. Um, Question about bad defending...
1: Question uh, here, actually. Just while we're on this, uh, Gunner uh, JB at Gunner Punner, Have we seen that Ben White is our best and a very good alternative to Saliba, particularly on the ball? And therefore, how big is the Tommy Assu injury? Can we rely on him next season? Which we've kind of talked about. But do we need a right back more than a right centre back?
0: Maybe, as I said, you've got no. that option. You know, if if you bring in a right back, um, you can always fold. Uh, ben White or Tommy Asu in at center half. We need more numbers at the back certainly and I think uh yeah I I think there might be a couple of arrivals in that area. Um what what about this for me slower? This is a uh, a question tinged with some sadness I guess. If Emile leaves name the best four syllable player we can sign to slot into the Saka song. Ronaldinho. <laughs> Saka, Ronaldinho. Ronaldinho. Yeah
1: bring that's him back nice. bring him out of retirement i say suppose
0: yeah that's good actually Saka is there anyone existing georginio
1: georgini Saka, and georginio because you got to add, you'd have to add another
0: Giorginio. you'd have to
1: add another syllable
0: Saka and... yeah okay yeah ronaldinho well, I, I i yeah i'm not sure Jorginho will necessarily warrant that elevated status of inclusion in that song. Uh, I thought he was actually okay against Forrest. I thought he was one of the players that emerged with a bit of credit, but um, yeah, you know,
1: he, I, he I, certainly looked like he was unhappy with what was going on around him.
0: That's <laughs> yeah. for sure. Yeah. He'd been to the Matthew Flamini school of pointing. Yes. That is For sure.
1: <laughs> the finishing school. I uh, have final question for you. Okay. What do you think Mikel Arteta's reaction is going to be when he arrives at the training ground this morning and discovers that Win the dog has done a big shit in his office?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Win the dog. That that is listen, it's lovely they've got a dog and I think it makes a ton of sense. But calling it Win is quite funny, I think. Don't you?
1: Yeah, what other names could they, you know, inspiring names, could they have come up with? Score. Score. Assist the dog. Yeah. The dog is called
0: the Premier League trophy.
1: (laughs) We are going to lift the Premier League trophy every day at the training ground. Scratch it under its chin. Yeah, I like like the story. And, you know, it's one of those that, you know, when, when seasons turn out like this, it looks a little bit fucking... Not silly, but, you know, people will have their fun with it. But... Everywhere is improved by having a dog. I'm sorry, I I, uh, I think that's absolutely scientific fact. There's no way it can be disputed. If you've got a good dog, your place is improved. You're
0: halfway there. I said um, I said good, if only I good had dog. A good dog.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, I think we better leave it there in this new era of Arscast Extra. So. Um, Thank you to everybody for being here. Thank you for listening. We'll have some stuff for you on Patreon. We will see some of you in London at the weekend, of course, as well for our final home game of the season. We're having our event in Union Chapel on the Saturday night, so we hope to see uh, some of you there. For now, though, take it easy. Hope your week is better than our performance against Nottingham Forest, and we'll catch you on the next one.
0: Bye-bye.